0: Was Pope Francis hurt as an altar boy? Did something negative happen to him as a young man that helps us understand why it is that he's hostile to tradition, hostile to Latin Mass, his favorite word that comes up over and over in sermons, Messages, I think even some tweets. He doesn't like the word or the idea or people who are rigid. Things have to be moving, growing, developing, surprising. This is what Pope Francis wants from Catholicism. Of course, Catholicism is alive. The power of the Holy Ghost He's the Lord. He's the giver of life. Yes. But the organism that grows, like a baby into a man, my new puppy dogs into dogs, they have to be the same organism. You can't change it. You can't evolve it into a different species. There can't be a hermeneutic that transforms the dogma the morality, the liturgy, the rituals of Catholicism into something else. So today I'm going to read a quote from Pope Francis about his childhood as an altar boy. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just a dad on a webcam. But as I read this quote, I think it'll give us some insight into maybe some hurt, some resentment, some confusion regarding the traditional Latin Mass and Pope Francis. So I'll share that quote today. And then I'm also going to, because it's related to what Pope Francis says, I'm going to talk about ad orientum. Churches facing east, altars facing east, the priest facing east. We hear more and more people saying, well, I don't want to go to Mass with the priest facing a wall. He should be facing me. So if you've been to a traditional Latin Mass, you'll notice the priest faces away from us, or rather we could say with us, ad deum, to God, or ad orientum. I'm going to explain that theology today from a church father, St. John of Damascus. So, should be a. will read a quote from him and talk about that, and talk about the tradition that, in a way, was relativized by Catholics in the 1800s and the 1900s. Before we get into all this, I'm going to ask you to please like the video, share it, and please do subscribe if you're new and we'll open up with the prayer, we'll pray the Our Father in Latin, the Paternoster. Noster. Oremus. Nomeni Patris et Piriid, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater qui es in Celi, sanctificator nomen Tuum, adveniat Regnum Tuum, fiat voluntas Tua, sicut in cello et in Terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos debitoribus nostris, Et nenos and ducas and tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini patris fidi et spiritu sancti. Amen. All right, jumping right in, here's the quote from Pope Francis. This comes from a book that he released. Uh, I actually have a, a cover of the book. Dear Pope Francis. The Pope answers letters from children around the world by Pope Francis. Okay, so this is uh, kids, I guess, writing in questions to the Pope, and then he gives his answer. And here is the answer. Let me put it big on the screen just a minute. Boom, there it is. Dear Pope Francis, were you ever near the priest as an altar boy? Greetings from uh, Alessio, Italy, age 9. Okay, now, here is Francis' response. Dear Alessio, yes, I was an altar boy. And you? What part among the altar boys do you have? It's easier to do now, you know. You might know that when I was a kid, Mass was celebrated differently than today. Now I'm going to pause here. There's you hear it all the time from the advocates and the apostles of Vatican II. They do like to stress the difference how things are better now, and they talk about those bad old days where there were mean nuns and you couldn't understand anything in math. All right, so this is already here. The oop wrong thing. The Quote goes on. Back then, the priest faced the altar, which was next to the wall, and not the people. Then, the book with which he said the Mass, the Missal, was placed on the right side of the altar. But before the reading of the Gospel, it always had to be moved to the left side. That was my job to carry it from the right to the left and the left to the right. It was exhausting! The book was heavy! I picked it up with all my energy, but I wasn't so strong. I picked it up once and fell down, so the priest had to help me. Some job I did. The mass wasn't in Italian then. The priest spoke, but I didn't understand anything and neither did my friends. So for fun, we do imitations of the priests, messing up the words a bit to make up weird sayings in Spanish. We had fun and really enjoyed serving Mass. End quote. So let's go through this a little bit. Again, this comes from the book, Dear Pope Francis. And I sense, as a dad, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Let me know in the comments. As a dad, I sense a little pain here in the voice of Pope Francis. And I know as a father of boys, I have four boys, um, serving at the altar for a young man is stressful. Um, There's anxiety. I mean, I know when my sons serve, when they were first learning to serve the Latin Mass, I mean, I'm nervous. I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, please don't drop that candle. Oh, please. You know, you're just, and I've got to think to myself, you know what, this isn't about them. This is about Christ. And I think as parents, we need to be encouraging to our sons when they serve the Mass. They do make mistakes. Accidents do happen. Same with priests, too. Uh, We lay people shouldn't be the referees for the altar boys and for the priests and the deacons and the subdeacons. But, so I know as a father, some of the anxiety and the stress that that an altar boy can carry with him because he's doing something in the presence of God. He's There's a priest, there's holy items, there's a tabernacle. I mean, I remember once my son, we were together in a church alone and he was small. I don't know maybe how old he was, maybe three or four. And he pointed at the tabernacle and he said, Dad, if I touch that, why well, die? Like he was asking me for real like the holiness, that, the perceptions that children can have in Catholicism. So it's a big deal for, and and if, especially in the traditional Latin Mass, there's a lot more rules, rubrics, rigidity. The rubrics are rigid, specific, even the way you walk, and the way you turn corners, and the way you hold your hands, and on which side of your body you hold a torch, a candle, depending on where you are in the sanctuary. How you hold the crucifix, if you're the crucifer. How you deliver the cruets, by giving with the right hand and receiving with the left hand. There's a lot of stuff there. It's rigid. And so when I read this quote, and I read that, you know, Pope Francis is a boy. He didn't feel strong enough to carry the missile. Um, he dropped it once. He didn't understand the Latin, so he and his friends were making up goofy Latin for fun. What I sense here is some insecurity of a young man around the liturgy, around the traditional Latin Mass. The priest didn't face the people. He faced the wall. These are all things. So let's go through some of these lines. Oh, wait. It's easier for me to put the whole thing on the screen. Put it over my face. All right. He says, you might know that when I was a kid, Mass was celebrated differently today. Back then, the priest faced the altar, which was next to the wall, not the people. Then the book, which was said in the Mass, the missal was placed on the right side of the altar. But before the reading of the gospel, it always had to be moved to the left side. So if you've never been to a traditional Latin Mass, the altar in tradition faces the East. The altar faces the East. Now, beginning especially in the 1800s, Catholics were like, well, it costs money sometimes extra money to buy land facing east, or the city's already laid out and it's not facing east, and the city blocks aren't that way. So we're just going to face churches whichever way we can. I can understand that, right? Uh, certain exceptions based on terrain or or maybe a, a city layout. But we should try, we should strive to angle our churches facing the east. I remember as a young man, a young Anglican, I was probably in Anglican seminary. I don't know exactly when it was, but I remember being with someone who was probably also Anglican. And there was this beautiful, big Anglican church. And I was looking at it, how it was situated on a city block. This was in the northeast somewhere. And I commented to the person I was with, I was like, it's kind of weird, it's odd that they angled the church cockeyed on the city block. Like, it's not a good use of space. It's not pragmatic. It's not practical. And the person with me, he said, that's because they are tr- they faced the church to the east, which is Christian tradition, which I'd kind of known from reading. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing that they built a church cockeyed on a city block, like not with the traffic, but facing... So the city was planned out not with north, east, south, west. And they, the Anglicans, to preserve tradition, face their church to the east. And the Eastern Orthodox always face their churches to the east. I have a good friend who's an Eastern Orthodox priest. All the ortho bros are getting all excited. Ooh, Taylor Marshall hangs out with the Eastern Orthodox priest. The ortho bros are pumped. I have a friend who's an Eastern Orthodox priest, and they had a, a small church, and they were building a bigger church, but they needed to buy land. They are going to relocate, but they wanted to be in the same area, and they had a certain size they needed for a church and a hall and parking and all that. Well, they found, I remember him saying, we found a great place. It's its in the neighborhood of where we need to be. It's close to our old church. It's enough land and all that. Later on, I asked him, how'd that go? Did y'all get that land? He goes, No. We had to pass on it. I said, what happened? He said, well, our architect looked at it and there was no way on that plot of land, even though it was in the right neighborhood and the right price, we couldn't situate our new temple, our new church facing east with the altar to the east, so we just had to pass on the deal. Now, Roman Catholics, since the 1800s, would have been like, it's a good deal. It works. Do it. But for him as an Eastern Orthodox following the ancient canons and the traditions, he knew, but there was an expectation that the liturgy, the sacrifice of the Eucharist, had to be offered in the direction of the East, towards the East. And this is why, traditionally in the Catholic Church, and in the Eastern Rites, in the Byzantine Rite, in the Coptics, in the Syrians... In the Ethiopian Orthodox, all they offer and pray to the east. In fact, even in their house, they'll put a cross in their house due east so they know which way to pray. In the Roman rite, baptism, historically, the newly baptized or the catechumen would face to the west and renounce Satan and turn to the east and affirm his belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and would be baptized facing the east. Why is this important? I'm going to come back to the Pope Francis quote. By the way, this is Pope Francis as a young man right here. As Pope Francis. Young Pope Francis. when He was serving on the altar. I'm going to put this map up here. This is a map from the New St. Thomas Institute. The New St. Thomas Institute is where I do online courses. We have courses in philosophy, Thomas Aquinas, church history, church fathers, medi- I have a whole course on medieval theology, the entire Old Testament from a Catholic point of view, the entire New Testament from a Catholic point of view, history of the Roman Rite, etc. But here's a map of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. And you can see the the pink east-west access. For those that are listening on Spotify, iTunes, Audible, uh, podcast everywhere, what we're looking at is a is a picture of the city of Jerusalem and i've drawn on there the direction to the east and the direction to the west now if you look at Jerusalem you'll see the temple it's on the eastern side of the city it's actually over the kidron valley you know the new st thomas institute we've taken a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the Holy land. It was completely amazing. And we were scheduled to do more pilgrimages. We're going to do Fatima, Spain, France, Jerusalem again, even Mexico City. But the doggone COVID restrictions have prevented us to take these pilgrimages. Hopefully one day we can go again and we can go to all these holy places. And I'll teach you along the way all this theology. So here's what we learned when we were in Jerusalem. So there's the to the east and to the west, the temples on the east. Christ himself was crucified at Golgotha. Golgotha is due west of the temple. And on this map, you can see the triangle. All right, and that's to the west. Now, there's a great quote from St. John of Damascus. And he teaches us that when Christ was on the cross, that is when he was at Golgotha positioned on Good Friday, he was crucified facing to the west. So he literally had his back on the temple. Why did he have his back on the temple? Because he was saying that true sacrifice is no longer found in the temple. The temple of the Jews is no longer the propitiatory. It is no longer where you find atonement. As we read in the epistle of St. Paul to the Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats never really atoned for sin. The true Lamb of God is Christ who dies on the cross. So he dies with his back to the temple, and he's facing to the west. And here's the quote. You can see it on the screen. This is from St. John of Damascus. Actually, I'm going to put a picture of John of Damascus here on the screen. He's a great saint. He actually wrote the first summa, a four-point summa. That's John of Damascus right there. Here's the quote. Also, in the celebrated Temple of Solomon, the gate of the Lord was placed eastward. Moreover, Christ, when he hung on the cross, had his face turned towards the west. And so we worship, striving after him. So, St. John Damascus, he's saying, We Christians, we worship facing to the east, ad orientum, because Christ died on the cross facing east to the west. So if we're going to face him, remember, if you go to a Catholic church, what's right above the altar? The crucifix. Christ crucified. He's facing, if your church is built properly, eastward, he's facing to the west. And we and the priest are all facing to the east. This is the theology of ad Orientum that sadly most people don't even know about anymore. I mean, if you went to medieval England, medieval France, medieval German, medieval Poland, medieval uh, Austria, medieval anywhere, Italy, there are exceptions because of terrain. You can't always build a church because of a mountain or a a valley or a hole in the ground. But for the most part, over 90% or even more than that of the churches you're going to see that are built are built facing to the east. Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, everything. Facing to the East ad Orientum with the altars facing to the East. John of Damascus actually has a lot more to say about it. Do you want me to share that? Anybody interested? I'm going to share it because I want to. It's fun. Remember, John of Damascus talks about how Christ is called the Son of Righteousness, that's from Malachi four two. Where's the sunrise? In the east. He's the day spring from on high. That's Luke chapter 1, 7, uh, verse 78. He's the day spring from on high. Where does the day spring from? From the east. And also, you can remember that God planted the Garden of Eden in the east. Genesis chapter 2. John Damascus says it is not without reason or by chance that we worship towards the east. But seeing that we are composed of a visible and invisible nature, that is to say of a nature partly of spirit and partly of sense, we render also a twofold worship to the creator, just as we sing both with our spirit and our bodily lips and are baptized with both water and spirit and are united with the Lord in a twofold manner, being sharers in the mysteries and in the grace of the Holy Spirit. Since therefore God is spiritual light and Christ is called in the scriptures son of righteousness and dayspring, the east is the direction that must be assigned to his worship. For everything good must be assigned to him for whom every good thing arises. Indeed, the divine David also says, sing unto the Lord, ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord, to him that rideth upon the heavens towards the east. Moreover, the scripture also says, And God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And when he had transgressed his command, he expelled him and made him to dwell over against the delights of paradise, which clearly is in the west. So then, we worship God, seeking and striving after our old fatherland. St. John of Damascus continues to say, Moreover, The tent of Moses had its veil and its mercy seat towards the east. And also the tribe of Judah, as the most precious, pitched their camp on the east. And also in the celebrated temple of Solomon, the gate of the Lord was placed eastward. Moreover, Christ, when he hung on the cross, had his face turned towards the west, and so we worship striving after him. And when he was received again into heaven, he was born towards the east. And thus his apostles worship him, and thus he will come again in the way in which they beheld him, going towards heaven. As the Lord himself said, As lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So then the expectation of his coming we worship towards the east. But this tradition of the apostles is unwritten, for much that has been handed down to us by tradition is unwritten. End quote. St. John of Damascus, Exposition on the Orthodox Faith, Book 4, Chapter 2. So the whole idea that, that the Novus Ordo gives us, that we would stand in a circle and face each other, is very man-centered. As you can see by the great Orthodox saint, St. Saint John Damascus, St. Saint saint John Damascene, early Christians East and West oriented worship, oriented baptism, oriented churches, oriented altars to the east. Because Christ was crucified facing west, and Christ will come again from the east. A little bit of apologetics on ad orientum. By the way, today, yet another bishop has banned... Ad Orientum Worship, an American bishop. Hold on with me here. Eric Sammons put it up on Twitter this morning. And uh, this kind of started a whole conversation on Ad Orientum Worship. Let me see if I can find it. He, uh, Yeah, here it is. The bishop is Bishop... Frank Duane, Bishop of the Diocese of Venice in Florida. He got rid of Ad Orientum, and he misspelled in his official letter. Let me share it with you on the screen. In his official letter, he actually misspelled Ad Orientum. It's like, how sad is it that we have lost Latin in the church when bishops putting out their decrees banning Ad Orientum worship he puts in Ad Orientum with a T-U-M on the end. Oh, just so cringe. So embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. So, yeah, I mean, they don't just want the Latin Mass to go away. They want anything that looks like the Latin Mass to go away. And that includes communion on the tongue, kneeling to receive communion, kneelers in the church, the priests facing Ad Orientum, beautiful architecture, um, they want felt banners and cheese ball art. By the way, I just released, well, I haven't released it yet. Put a teaser track out. I have recorded my first song ever. Yesterday recorded it. Took me a little bit under an hour. It is Imagine No Felt Banners. You can listen to the teaser track version of it over on my Instagram page. People on Twitter, we were talking about all this stuff, and we kind of got into this whole funny spoof. Uh, you know the John Lennon song "Imagine," which is a great communist. And by great, I mean the great, like great for communist communism. Not great isn't good. It's a great communist anthem. It's the magnum opus of communism and Freemasonry. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine no hell below us. Imagine no possessions. That's what John Lennon says. It's complete insanity. (sniffs) Remember this song? John Lennon, Imagine. It's horrible. The lyrics are horrible. So uh, I re-recorded it as really a self-gift to the Synod on Synodality. I was thinking, you know what? We trads need to do accompaniment. I'm kidding here. Okay, I'm being sarcastic. We trads need to be doing accompaniment. You know, I need to enculturate the traditional Catholic message into a language that the Novus Ordo liturgical renewal people would understand. I thought to myself, how can I touch the hearts with my own self-gift to the Synod on Synodality? How do I reach across the aisle? And I was like, I know, I will take the Trad message and I will rewrite John Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine. And I will make it a trad anthem. And this way I will enculturate, I'm being sarcastic. I will enculturate the traditional message um, so that people who, you know, the liberal boomer crowd that thought 1971 was the all the end all be all. is like, what is the greatest song in 1971 for liberals? Imagine John Lennon. So I I rewrote it and I even sang it. And it's called Imagine No Felt Banners. It's easy if you try. So you can listen to that over at uh, Instagram. And maybe I'll release the full track. Okay. Back to Pope Francis. Oh, I'm the wrong one. This is the part about the book. Right, so the missile was moved from the right side to the left side. The missile moved from the south to the north. If we're using directions here, and then again, it moved back from the north to the south. This has to do with the prophet Ezekiel and him seeing God come on the four wheels and the four beasts um, it, in the north. And those four beasts represent the four canonical gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, because the chariot is in the north, so also the ultra boy moves the missile, the Gospel, from the South to the North and then the North to the South. It all has to do with the Old Testament and the prophet Ezekiel. Again, you can learn that at New St. Thomas Institute, newstthomas.com, where I go through all these symbols in Catholic tradition. Um, It's really, I mean, it's connecting the liturgy and the traditional Latin Mass with the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't know anyone doing that today. I'm trying to do that like I am trying to do it today with you at St. John Damascus. There's reasons why the Latin Mass and the traditional Byzantine divine liturgies, there's reasons why all of these things happen. Modern people are like, well, that's kind of weird. He's facing a wall. Let's change it. They don't understand the depth, the biblical worldview that is actually in these ancient rites. And that's sad. So what kind of, as a father jumped out at me is he said that was my job to carry the book from right to left and left, to right? It was exhausting. The book was so heavy. I picked it up with all my energy, but I wasn't so strong. I picked it up once and fell down. So the priest, Had to help me. I would tell you if that happened to any of my sons, they would be so embarrassed. That is that is traumatic. All right, that is traumatic. That you would go and pick up the missile, and then drop the missile in mass. That's going to leave a little scar. Just is. I don't care how manly manly a boy is. That's embarrassing. Now. I was curious about this. Like, I have served the traditional Latin mass many, many, many times. Dozens. I don't know if I've done it a hundred times, but I've done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I agree that the missile is heavy, but it's not like more than five pounds. Um, So was Pope Francis like, was this when he was like four years old? You know, I'm kind of confused about how he how perceived it as so heavy. So I did a little test. Uh the other two nights ago, after I was kind of preparing the show, two nights ago we were praying the family rosary, and Joy bought this Bible study that's for kids through teens about the power of the mouth and sins of the tongues, sins of the tongue. And it's all these Bible verses about the tongue and the words we use and et cetera. So I needed a Bible to do some of the readings for the family. And so with this passage in mind from Pope Francis, I asked my daughter, Margaret, y'all know Margaret. She comes in here. She's Everybody's a big fan of Margaret, super cute. Margaret, I asked her, will you get me the big family Bible? And please bring it to me across the room. This is in the living room. So she proceeded to go and get our big family edition Dewey Rhames Bible. So it's not like a, do I have a Bible right here? I don't have a Bible right here. It's not like, you know, a Bible that's this size. It's a Bible that's like this size. It's heavy. It's maybe three, four, could be five pounds. I don't know. It's a big Bible. So Margaret walked over the room, found the big Dewey rheims Bible, picked it up and brought it to me with a smile and handed it to me. And I was thinking to myself, okay, she's six and she's a girl. And she has no problem transporting a very large book to me. And so I was thinking as I went back and looked at this quote, I was thinking, okay, so... Pope Francis says he dropped the missile apparently in mass as an older man in his eighties. Is he now looking back on that and trying to understand it? Was he, does he really think the missile was that heavy? Was he a very small child? I just don't understand how it could be that heavy. If you have an idea of what could have happened in this situation, leave a comment. I'm curious. Let me see. if People are, Sending comments now. And then while you're at it, while we're talking about comments, please give it a thumbs up. Share this video on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe. You can subscribe in the bottom right corner. Go for it. So I'm going to I'm gonna keep my eyes and look over here on the live chat. And if you have any idea um, maybe of what's going on here um, or could help me understand, please do. Because I did this test with my daughter. I just wanted to understand maybe it really is hard for kids to move a big book around look over here Um, let's see no I, I mean some people are saying some uncharitable things and I don't think that's that's right I mean whatever happened here it did happen to Jorge Bergoglio and it did leave a mark right Obviously, if you drop the missile during mass and a priest had to help you, you're going to feel very embarrassed. And later on, and maybe the priest, you know, maybe something not said, here. maybe the priest said, why'd you drop the book? You know, or what are you doing? Or why did that happen? You know, and it embarrassed him. You can see as a young man, your perception of Catholicism and priesthood is, well, why do we have all these stupid rules? You know, why do we got to carry a book from one side to the other? That's stupid. You know, like when you're embarrassed and bad things happen, you tend to blame the environment, and blame other people. You know, and, and him for all these what are these stupid, rigid rules that we have to carry the book around? It's embarrassing. The book is too heavy. Right? Someone says, was he a sickly child? And he was a, a I think he was sickly child. You know, he had the the surgery with his lung. And I don't know what age that was. In fact, I should try to look that up. How old Pope Francis surgery lung? Here we go. Thank you. For, um, whoever brought that up about the surgery the on. That's very helpful. Let's see. I found an article. Uh, when he was a young person. he had a lung disease, a chronic infection in a bronchial tube. Good. Some say it could have been a congenital problem, but it doesn't leave the age here of it just says as a as a young man. Let's see. If anyone knows Ah, Come on, nobody wants this. Bergoglio was a 21-year-old seminarian when he was feverish and near death for days. The doctors were worried. Finally, they didn't diagnosed a severe lung infection because they found three cysts. When his condition was stabilized and a prudent amount of time had passed, he had to undergo the removal of the upper part of his right lung. So that's when he was 21 years old. So I don't. I, I'm, maybe he wasn't sickly as a kid, and the lung thing. The surgery happened when he was 21, and I've seen pictures of him when he's young. Uh, I mean, he looks healthy. You can see the picture there. Um, I have been in Pope Francis's presence several times, and the last time that I was with him was the time I gave him the copy of Infiltration. This time. And I noticed he was he was wheezing, pretty loud. Like even from if you were like standing fifteen feet away from you and it was somewhat quiet, you would hear a man wheezing, like like that kind of sound. Let me try it again. I'm just trying to get it right off my memory. That kind of a sound. I mean, it's pretty loud. Um, so even now he does have some sort of you know he has a respiratory weakness. And it's audible. You can definitely hear it. All right, I'm going to continue down on the quote here. Thank you to whoever um, brought up the lung issue. Um, the surgery was when he was 21. So that may or may not um, relate to to this. So um, I picked it up once and felt, and fell down. So the priest had to help me. Some job I did. The mass wasn't in Italian then. so here's the second part. So the first part is he had to carry the book. it was too heavy. he fell down, priest had to help him. that's an embarrassment. But the second part has to do with Francis, Jorge Progolio and his friends mocking the mass, mocking the priest. I don't I don't quite know how to read this. Um, the mass wasn't in Italian then. The priest spoke it. But I didn't understand anything, and neither did my friends. This is odd because I know people who are Spanish speakers and they learn Latin so much faster than we English speakers. Because Spanish is corrupted Latin. It's a romance language. And I'm gonna throw a number. I'm just gonna, I won't say 90%, I'll say most Spanish words are derived from Latin. In fact, I took Spanish as a student in, I think I did two years in middle school and maybe one or two years in high school. And when I was learning Latin, one of the ways that made Latin easier for me is I had, I could remember, uh, I don't know how large it was, but I had a certain bank of Spanish vocabulary words and I was just over and over like, oh, that's just like the Spanish word for this. That's just like the Spanish word for this. So one of the ways that was made it easier for me to learn Latin was my experience in Spanish. So I would imagine if you're a native Spanish speaker and you begin taking Latin, the vocabulary just completely unlocks. So the fact that Francis didn't understand anything going on in the Latin mass, I just, I just find that hard to believe. Um, The priest spoke, but I didn't understand anything and neither did my friends. So for fun, we do imitations of the priests messing up the words a bit to make up weird sayings in Spanish. We had fun and we really enjoyed serving at mass. So is this going on? Is this going on during mass? Like, are they making up mumbo jumbo? I mean, you you know, like hocus pocus is actually a corruption of hocus corpus Meum, the words of consecration. It's a mockery. It's a joke of the words of consecration, you should never, you know, you don't want to say that kind of stuff. I mean, this shows a kind of, I think a a lack of respect, a lack of reverence for the priest and for the mass. I mean, I can see boys doing this. I can see myself as a boy doing this, but I think this already kind of shows a trajectory for the young Pope Francis thinking the Latin is dumb. Haha, ha, let's make fun of the Latin. The priest is facing a wall. Not the people. We had to move the book from the right side to the left side. Yeah, it's actually called the epistle side, epistle corner, the epistle horn sometimes, and the gospel side, or the gospel corner, or the gospel horn. But there's a theological reason. So like, it reveals here that the origin story, you know, like, I'm so done with Marvel movies. They're so dumb. You know, every superhero and DC and all this stuff. It's like, how did Joker become the Joker? You know, or how did Batman become Batman and Spider-Man become Spider-Man? I mean, I guess this reveals that humans are fascinated with origin stories. You know, like we're fascinated with Adam and Eve. We're fascinated with the conception and birth of Christ. And so I guess people are fascinated with how did... Dr. Bruce Banner become the Incredible Hulk, whatever. But this is kind of the origin story of Pope Francis, I think. It explains a lot of who he is. Don't like rules. Don't like Latin. Don't like ad orientum. Mass should be facing people. It should be in Italian. We shouldn't make altar boys follow rigid rules. What if they drop the book and they're embarrassed? What if they feel weak in front of other people? You know, for a young boy to feel weak and not strong in front of a priest and in front of his family and in front of his whole community and church, that's a problem. It's not good. That's by the way, why some uh they say a lot of young men like comic books. They like Marvel and they like DC. They feel insecure. They're not strong. They're probably bullied. Sadly, I'm totally against bullying. But these weaker boys are bullied by stronger boys. And it hurts. It's a deep wound. And they they turn to fantasy and comic books because they're like, well, they don't really know that I may look like a weak nerd with glasses and no muscles, but... If only they knew, I can shoot spider webs out of my wrists and swing around and beat up bad guys in my costume. And then later on, I put on my nerd clothes again. And No one really knows that I'm this totally awesome superhero, Spider-Man. Like, that's pretty much the story of every single comic book. The dweeb who becomes really awesome and then turns back into a dweeb. And the reason they write comic books this way is because that's how you sell them. There is this deep wound in young men who don't feel strong enough, who don't feel powerful, who feel embarrassed in front of people. It's sad. It's sad. And so you can go into the fantasy world or you can go, there's all different other kinds of ways to treat the wound. You can make fun of it. Mock it. And I kind of see that's what comes out in this quote. Again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a guy with a webcam. A dad with a webcam. I am a dad. I am a dad. And I know that bullying can hurt kids. Bullying is bad. I know how there's this deep desire in every young man to become the man. To become independent to become strong and tall and bold and to have a deep voice and to be popular and for that pretty girl to smile at them and like them and to be the lead ultra boy and the lead soccer player and to be the quarterback. I mean, all of these things are there. There's parallels in the feminine ideals as well. And, you know, to be honest, no guy ever fulfills all those things. But to the extent that they feel inadequate, they begin coping measures. So I'm just throwing this out there. You know, I hear an 80-year-old pontiff saying, these rigid clerics uh, wanting to wear Saturnos and cassocks and old rubrics and rules and these these traditionalist priests they're making boys carry those heavy missiles they're torturing young men to carry those heavy missiles what if one of those young men isn't strong enough to carry the missile from the right side of the altar to the left side what if he falls down In front of his mom and his sisters and his uncle and his grandparents. So let's have everything laid back. No rules. No possibilities for failure. We don't need Latin. Let's just have it all in Italian. Get a circle around the altar. Groovy. You know, it's kind of interesting. Maybe this whole 1960s hippie, Woodstock, Vatican II, Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know, moving into the 70s, John Lennon, imagine there's no heaven. Probably a lot of it's just being spoiled. They live in a super prosperous couple decades. But, Maybe it's just a lot of wounds. Those authority figures made me feel bad. Now I have the political and social space to push away and reject it. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Is there anyone in the live chat who was alive back then? Is that a reality? I mean, we're talking about 60 Seventy years ago. All right, well, concluding points. Liturgical East is real East. Read St. John of Damascus. Praying to the East is good. Churches should be built to the East. Yeah, but Taylor, like, it'd be so expensive if we had to have church facing. I mean, I don't I don't think Catholicism is about convenience and going the easiest way. I understand if the only property you can get isn't facing east. Okay, yeah, there's exceptions, but those should be the exceptions. If you're building a magnificent monument, temple to almighty God, better be facing east with the high altar to the east. By the way, The Immaculata in Kansas City that's being built is facing east. They did it right. Props. Props. Face east. And then maybe we can have some... Again, I'm not agreeing with Pope Francis and what he's doing to tradition and destroying the Latin Mass and persecuting traditional priests. But maybe reading this quote to Alessio, age 9 in Italy... Maybe this helps us understand the origin story of how Pope Francis was hurt or felt insufficient in the context of the traditional Latin mass with the heavy missile that made him fall down the stairs at the altar. If you like this video, give it that thumbs up. Share it on Facebook. Facebook. You are my algorithm. People always say, Taylor, well, you know like Y-O-U-T-U-B-E, what it's all about and what they're trying to do. Oh, trust me, I know. I've been on here for a decade. Has it been a decade? I don't know. I've been on here many, many years. I know it. Same thing with the F-A-S-E-E-B-O-O-K and the meta. In the T-W-I-T-T-E-R. Well, I know. But these are the platforms that we can use for now. For now. So that being said, they're not going to promote me, you, us. So that's why I say please share this information. Share it using what, whatever platform, whatever followers you have. Please hit the share button beneath this and share it on Facebook, Twitter, etc., And uh, just a reminder, all these podcasts are available on Spotify. You can listen to Joe Rogan on Spotify. You can listen to Taylor Marshall on Spotify. iTunes, uh, this podcast is now on Audible. It's on Amazon Music. It's on Stitcher. Anywhere there's a podcast, I'm pretty sure the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast is syndicated there. So you can listen on the go and maybe save some of your data plan by listening to the audible version, the audio version, just put in Taylor Marshall in your podcast app and it'll pop up. Thanks to all the supporters on Patreon. I am very grateful to all the generous patrons who support this channel. And uh, if you want to become a generous patron and support the work that I'm doing in writing, and yes, I am writing a new book right now and making this podcast and the interesting things you learn, like for example, Saint John of Damascus, teaching that Christ died facing west, and therefore we pray to the east. That kind of stuff. You can get more online courses. You can get signed books from me. You can get all kinds of things by becoming a patron. I say thank you and send y'all things out. Go to patreon.com forward slash dr. Taylor Marshall. I appreciate it. All right. Well, let's say the uh, the Hail Mary. Before we close, Oremus, nomini Patri et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu, in molieribus, et benedictus fructus, ventris tui, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or nobis peccatoribus, nunc et or mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Fidio, et Spiritus Sancto, Sanctum, in principio, et nunc et semper, et in saecula, saeculorum, Amen. Nomini Patris, Vii et spiritu Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, thanks for watching. And remember, oh, I didn't say it yet. Pray the rosary every day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. Yeah, but tell what, it's so rigid. I don't care. Do you want to be rigid or do you want to be bent every which way like a wax nose? Mm. you know what if you're going to fight I want my shield to be rigid I want my sword to be rigid strength strength and the way you become strong is you pray you read the Bible every single day everybody reading their Bible every day you better be it's the word of God and you better be praying that rosary every day. The rosary's Bible and beads. It's vocal prayer. It can become mental prayer. It can lead to contemplative prayer. You must pray the rosary every blessed day. If you're a dad, you would better be leading your wife and your children in praying the rosary. I know they might complain. I know they might be distracted all five decades. Do it. Anyway, do it anyway. Pray the rosary every day, or you're not on the team. If you think that's rigid and bad, whatevs. All right, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and Godspeed.